So what do you do after you've sinned? Well, in part two of The Anatomy of a Fall in 2 Samuel 11, we'll watch David do a cover-up. Instead of confessing his sin and forsaking it, he tries to cover it up, and he makes things even worse. How often have we done the same? What lessons can we learn from David's fall and how to confess and forsake sin instead of attempting to cover it up? It's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. It's your fault, God. I was fine in the garden with the animals until you brought her along. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, you're the one that said it's not good for man to be alone. I didn't say that. But when Adam saw her, what did he say? Whoa, man. <laughs> Loose translation. She is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Oh, he liked her. But now, after the fall, we go into cover-up mode. Is there hope for us? If we didn't take the way of escape, if we actually fall on our face, the proverb says a righteous man falls seven times a day and gets back up. Look, we, we don't want to continue to skin our knee, but sometimes it happens. So what do we do after we've fallen? Remember, I've told you in 1 Corinthians 10, you kind of want to scream at David through the corridor of time, take the way of escape, don't do this, King David. But he's going to get lower and lower and lower. Sin will take you farther than you ever thought it could and cost you more than you could ever imagine. Where's the, where's the serpent now, now that they're cowering in the corner? He's a liar. Jesus said he's the father of lies. Do you understand who we're dealing with here? He was a murderer from the beginning. He seeking someone to devour. And so Uriah comes into town. Do you think that there were whispers about the king's fling in Jerusalem? Do you think at least it was in the Jerusalem Inquirer? In the supermarket line, the king has a fling. I don't know. But I think it's possible since the advisors of David and others seemed to know that he had called for her, there were other people involved, maybe, maybe what happened was that Uriah knew. I don't know, but David asked him, well, how's it going? What about the welfare of Joab? How are things going? David was not really interested in Uriah's well-being. Uriah had simply become a tool towards David's end. And when we get caught into sin, people become our tools to cover up our mess. Sadly. And so David is making small talk, but it's really all about his pride. It's all self-serving. Everything he did was about self-preservation and self-serving. David Jeremiah said, it's not about how many people are serving you, David. It's about how many you are serving that's what humility asks. How many people can I serve? It's not about me being served, but serving. 
Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life, what? As a ransom for many. Do you want to find fulfillment in this life? Start serving other people. Start being a person that you can give to others and give hope and encouragement. What David really wanted was for Uriah to get home and sleep with his wife. And so here's Uriah. There's some indication from Leviticus 15, I think it's verse 18, that if you were with your wife intimately, it might render you at least temporarily unfit for the battlefield. So this could be part of why Uriah doesn't go home. But David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. It's a euphemism for go be with your wife intimately. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. Some wine, some chocolate maybe. I don't know what he gave him. But David wanted to encourage this encounter. So he sent him home. But Uriah, verse nine, slept. Literally he lay, which is an echo of verse four, at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. Now, when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? What's almost implied here is a thinly veiled questioning of his manhood. Are you kidding me? Why didn't you go be with your wife? You've been away for a long time. What's wrong with you, man? And Uriah said to David, 11, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat, to eat and drink and lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Now, if you're David, you gotta be thinking, boy, this guy's a piece of work. Here I pull him off the battlefield, I give him a vacation, I give him chocolate. I try to get him to be with his wife. And this guy's talking about honor and the ark and his comrades on the battlefield. Are you kidding me? Oh, no, we're not kidding, David. Apparently, Uriah is not going with the program of your cover-up. Isn't it unfortunate when people don't go with our program? I mean, David's thinking, I'm the king. I gave this guy a, a respite. But behind all of this is David's what? Motivation to cover his tracks. He wants a cover-up. He wants Uriah on board. And Uriah says, I will not do this thing. In Genesis 39, it's good to contrast Joseph with David. What happened was Potiphar's wife, and you just write down for your notes, Genesis 39, 7 through 10. Potiphar's wife every day was coming to Joseph. Joseph was a Good-looking young man. He had been lonely, sold into slavery, had every reason to give into temptation. And daily, she said, be with me, be with me, be with me. And he said, listen to these words. How can I do this thing and sin against God and sin against my master? The only thing he's not given to me, I'm over the whole household, is you. You're his wife. I cannot do this thing. Do you think that David might have heard the echo of Joseph's words in Uriah? Maybe that should have kind of lit off the siren for David. Oh my goodness, what am I doing? Maybe it's time to come clean now, but there's a huge cost to come clean at this point. 
David doesn't even know if he might have to die for a capital crime. And so this man's honor is remarkable. Now, if you know the story of Joseph, Joseph finally had to run away from Potiphar's wife, and she accused him of trying to rape her. And Joseph ended up in a jail. Some of you are thinking, oh, great. You do the right thing, and you end up in jail. Prison. But do you know that in Joseph's story, the prison became an elevator to the palace? Joseph would not sleep with her. And if he had, she probably would have said something like this. Oh, all the gods all over the world, including Israel's God, they're all the same. This guy's no different than any other guy that I would have slept with because he slept with me too. He would have ruined his witness. Now, he had to be in the jail for quite some time, in the prison for quite some time. But finally, he was remembered because of his dream interpretation. And he gets elevated before the king and gives the interpretation. And the prison becomes a doorway to the palace. Flip it around. For David, the palace became a doorway to the prison. Think about it. David thought, if I could just cover it up, I'll do the wrong thing because it's expedient. And David entered his own personal prison of sin. Wow. Do you know that there's a Hebrew word for sin in the Old Testament? It's called kata. It literally means kata. It's C-H-A-T-A. It literally means to build a wall around yourself. Here's the picture. Brick by brick until you've imprisoned yourself in your own prison of making. That's what sin is. Each time you sin, you pave another brick in the wall. And all we are is just a, another brick. Never mind. Can you strike that from the record? Why did I even? <laughs> and, you, and you put it in place and you got your little, your little paver thing, whatever that thing is called. And, and, and you place another brick in the wall and that pattern becomes your prison. David's not free. They'll tell you today, oh, you know what? The, the Bible's archaic. You, what you want is sexual freedom. And then you start making your own prison. And the only thing that will cause the walls to come down in that prison, please hear me, is humility. Please know this man standing up here was not born a preacher. I did not grow up with the dream of becoming a pastor. I did just about everything you can do the wrong way. I'm not talking to you from some ivory tower. I've tasted both sides of this track folks. And so David should have heard the words of Joseph in Uriah's response and his cover-up plan fails. So David said to Uriah, verse 12, stay here today also and tomorrow. I will let you go. You want to go back to the battlefield? So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him and he ate and drank before him. And notice this, David made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Why is King David trying to get Uriah drunk now? Because he thinks that he will lower his inhibitions of honor. Folks, when you get drunk, 
when you let an Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth, and one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five-minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it, and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and check out the devotion today. God bless you. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him. And notice this. David made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Why is King David trying to get Uriah drunk now? Because he thinks that he will lower his inhibitions of honor. Folks, when you get drunk, when you let an intoxicant or a drug come into your body, you start to lose the natural inhibitions. Where you might put up a shield of honor In a certain area, you let your guard down. And that's what David was hoping to do. David the king has sunk so low, he's trying to get this guy drunk so he'll give in and go to his wife. But Uriah would not go down. And it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab. David's got two strikes. This guy's not with the program. So finally, David writes a letter to his commander, and he sent it by the hand of Uriah 15, and he had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. We only got two options here. Either I die or he dies. And I don't want to die, David says to himself. So he needs to die. Do you see the slippery slope that David's on? Man. I mean, he, he is sinking incrementally with each step. And we want to say, David, time out, stop. Just come clean. He's going to come clean after a year and be forgiven. But that year, as I mentioned, is going to bring a lot of consequences. David, in essence, says, he must die to spare me. And the gospel says that Jesus died so that we might live. Jesus came into the world with a death note. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure that your sin will find you out. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals or covers his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find, forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but... He who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Now David is going to become a murderer. And so it was, as Joab kept watch, he was besieging the city, that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men, probably at the city gate. And the men of the city, these are Ammonites, went out and fought against Joab. And some of the people among David's servants fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Joab, who was related to David, saw the note. It was sealed with the king's signet. 
He was literally carrying his own death note. If he was carrying it and maybe had an inkling that David was up to no good, would you be tempted to break the seal and look inside the letter? But he didn't. He brought the letter faithfully to the commander, Joab. Joab looked at it and he complied with the king's order. They were winning the war. There was no reason to do this, but he put him where the fiercest battle was, where the best of the remaining soldiers of Ammon were, and Uriah's dead. And I ask you, do you want to be that guy? Do you want to be that girl that lets sin take you to this kind of place? Well, Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war, 19, and he charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of that person? Jerubbesheth. Did the woman, did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebez? Why did you go so near the wall? This is what Joab's imagining that David, who's a great military man, would say. Then you shall say to the king when he asked this, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. If he asks you about my strategy, just tell him, by the way, king, Uriah is dead. Now, if you're the messenger, you have to be thinking, why, is, why does he want me to bring this out? Just write this down. In Judges 9, 50 through 54, a woman brought down Abimelech, who was the son of the judge Gideon. As they came near the wall, she hit him, I believe, if I recall the story correctly, she hit him with a stone from the wall. And he didn't want it to be said that a woman killed him. So he asked one of those soldiers that was nearby to finish him off. A woman brought this person down at Thebez. Abimelech went down by a woman. And David is going down by a woman. All because he couldn't do things God's way. And so the messengers departed. I'll say really quickly, some years ago, my sister was a pretty awesome Little League player. She was, uh, I think, the only girl in the Little League. She was a bit of a tomboy. She was a good player. In fact, for a long time in our childhood, she was a better baseball player than me. And she hit a home run in her uh, 12-year-old season off this guy. She hit it out of the park. A girl hit a home run off one of the best pitchers in the Little League. Oh, he couldn't take it. The next time she came up, he beamed my sister. Can you imagine how terrible? I'm not going to let this happen. Well, does this kind of tell you that maybe Joab knows the real cause why Uriah has to die on the battlefield? Has Joab gotten word about David's shenanigans? Well, the messenger was probably puzzled as to why Joab wanted this negative report, but Uriah, whose name, remember, means Yahweh is my light, is now dead. And David said to the messenger, uh, let's go back. Look at 22. So the messenger departed, came and reported to David all that Joab had sent to, sent to him to tell. 
23, the messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field. Little different version of the story. But we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servant from the wall. So some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Would you notice in verse 24? Servants is plural. Multiple people have died. Maybe because Joab thinks... If I just sent Uriah alone, it's going to look bad and people are going to question it. So he sent an envoy. Multiple people die. And what he was anticipating was David would get upset. Are you kidding me? Why would you do things like this? But David says to the messenger, 25, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, literally. Don't let it be evil in your eyes. For the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the siege, against the city stronger and overthrow it. So, so go and encourage him. Tell him, don't feel so bad. Casualties of war and all of that. But David set this whole thing up. The casualties of war are the result of his losing his battle with sin. You don't sin in a vacuum. Now, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. Did David? She may have mourned as much as 30 days, probably something like a week. And she mourned, and David just kind of watched. He got what he wanted. She mourned. 1 Corinthians 5.2 says, you should have mourned over this, but instead you're arrogant. Final verse. When the time of mourning was over, that is for Bathsheba, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. And then she bore him a son from their affair, their adultery. But the thing that David had done, would you note it, was evil in the sight of the Lord. Have you heard God talked about anywhere in this chapter? Nope. Not until the last verse. What David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. Can I submit to you? That's all that really matters. You could justify a number of things. You could cover them up. You can say, I can do this. I can get away with it. But God was watching and he was not pleased. When David took Bathsheba as his wife, and if the worship team can hear my voice, come on up. David probably did it, did it under these kind of auspices. He probably took Bathsheba as a type of a goel, a kinsman redeemer. And since Uriah was a Hittite, he probably had no family in Israel. And so probably what David did was something like this. I'm going to marry her because the soldier husband Hittite is dead and I'll be a kinsman redeemer and I'll take care of her. Doesn't that sound noble? I, I will marry the, the poor girl. I'll, I'll bring her into my harem. I'll be her kinsman redeemer. David has even found a way to look good through this. But it was evil in the sight of the Lord. No matter how David convinced himself. And here's what's going to happen. Preview of chapter 12. A man named Nathan 
is going to come to David. And he's going to tell him a story. And that will be for next time. And he will confront him with his sin. Were you guys groaning that I said that was for next time? Okay, we'll pass the peanuts. Let's keep going. No, I'm just kidding. From the lineage of David came one whose name is Jesus. Jesus was born about a thousand years after King David lived. He was known as the son of David. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll close by looking at this. Matthew 1. This is the book of the genealogy 1-1 of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Jesse, skip down to verse 6 of Matthew 1, was born David, the king. To David was born Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. He'll be born later. The child from this adulterous relationship is going to die. If you skip down, it says these words. Verse 18, Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will, what's your Bible say? Save his people from their sins. David, Abraham, Jesse, Bathsheba, Joseph, Daniel, Moses, Peter, Jacob, Job, put your name in there. All saved the same way. He will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus does. He saves us from our sin. So I know we go through these chapters of David's fall and, you know, maybe you've been thinking about your own shortcomings. Maybe you've had a recent fall. Maybe you opened the door to the enemy and man you felt hard and you ask some questions like well what do I do now maybe you went into a cover up mode maybe maybe there's casualties all around you and you're like well what do I do now Jesus the greater David came to save us from our sins that's the good news of the gospel Hey, listening family, it is so good to be on the radio sharing the Word of God and spending this time with you as we go through the power of the Bible and the power of the gospel. Hey, if you've been benefiting from these programs, we would appreciate you partnering with us through prayer. You can send an encouraging note through the website, and you can also donate to the cause. Partner with us in this work of ministry. If you're benefiting from it and you'd like to see others benefit from it, go to walkintruth.com and click on the donate button. And there you can give $25, 50 $100, is on your heart, and it'll help us reach more people like you. Thanks for praying for us. Thanks for partnering with us in the greatest cause. And we'll catch you next time on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.